Welcome to the Pivoting Out of Education podcast, where hosts Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard will share their stories of folks who have left campus-based positions in education and K-12 to leverage their skills in other contexts. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average person holds 12 jobs between the ages of 18 and 50. Educators, like Jamie and Tom, often enter their careers thinking they will stay in education forever, perhaps because they're trained to think that way, or perhaps it is hard to see other pathways. Both of your hosts pivoted out of campus-based positions and are loving it. Now they want to give back and support others trying to do the same. Thanks for listening in and enjoy today's episode of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. My name is Tom Stutter. And I'm Jamie Hoffman. And today I'm really excited to welcome someone that I've known for quite some time from his days, both in higher education, but also we had the luxury of having him be our keynote speaker at a NOTA conference that I hosted back in 2014. Uh, please welcome Eric Stoller. Eric, say hello to the listeners. Uh, thanks for having me, Tom and Jamie. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So when Eric liked to tweet about our podcast, I immediately contacted Jamie and said, we've got to have Eric on this podcast. We've got to make room for him. And both of us decided that was a really good idea, not because of you know his, his following on social media at all, but primarily because we knew that he, his story would be a really great one for you all to hear as someone who worked in higher education and has ultimately made the pivot out. So Eric, let's just dive right into it. So to get us started, can you share a little bit about your background in education? Well, first of all, I'm heartbroken that your only incentive or main incentive for having me on was just because of social media. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of my social media accounts starting from tomorrow, and then we'll see how it plays out. <laughs> Thing to do with your social media uh, presence at all. <laughs> it, it well, it did for me because that's the only way I know, Eric. So to your, your intro point, we talked about this a moment ago, but we, we uh, sort of take ownership of guests throughout the season as far as where the one that's going to introduce and such. And Tom was like, Eric's mine. Cause I know. And I'm, I'm like, no, I know Eric. But then I realized like, I have actually like never actually met you. I just know you um, also from social media. So therefore you can't get rid of it. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm not, a, I'm not a real person. I'm actually just completely AI driven. No, I mean, I had the, I had the opportunity to. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. I met Tom back way back in the day. I think we were both teenagers at a, at a NOTA event in Orlando ages ago. But gosh, you know, the question of like, you know, my background in education, I, I you know, what do we have like four and a half hours, five hours uh, minimum for this, uh, this <laughs> <Yep>. podcast? <laughs> you know, I, I never really set out to work in higher ed. It just sort of is a series of, I guess you could say, fortunate accidents where, you know, one thing led to another, led to another. I mean, I sort of the start of it all was I was actually... I'd moved to Chicago and I was looking around for, for different you know, jobs, applying for this and that, and looking for something in marketing. And I remember one day I had an interview uh, in the morning, I think, with the University of Illinois at Chicago. And then I had an interview that afternoon with the Chicago Transit Authority, the CTA. And I ended up getting uh, this job at UIC, uh, University of Illinois at Chicago, uh, in student affairs marketing for their wellness center. And I can't remember if I skipped out on the CTA interview or whatever, but you know, I could be doing like transit stuff right now. This could be the bus podcast 
but instead, you know, it's the, it's the higher ed podcast that I'm on because of that, that interview and that, that sort of moment in time. And, you know, I, I was working in, in the wellness health promotion area within UIC and doing marketing. It was my first sort of professional foray into student affairs. And I just loved the work. And they, I was really fortunate. They let me work sort of beyond just the office that I was hired to work in. So I was helping out with career services. I was chairing student conduct committees through the Dean of Students office. And then at some point, someone said to me, you know, where did you go and get your master's degree in higher ed? And I said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I have my undergrad degree. I, I grew up in rural Iowa. You know, for me, the sort of the pinnacle of higher education was the bachelor's degree, never once thinking that a master's degree would be something that I would do. And then I started looking into it and realized that if I wanted to continue in student affairs, and I'd kind of had the bug at that point when I was working at UIC uh, because of the sort of the, the broad spectrum of opportunities that they had given me. And so I started looking at programs and Oregon State University uh, had this really amazing college student services administration, higher ed, you know, the typical two-year student affairs program. And I, I applied and they, uh, you know, they accepted me and I was, you know, obviously really excited. And I, I had this really interesting assistantship because at the time, I was kind of coming into student affairs as someone who really liked technology. I, I, in fact, was just sort of always the person who said, well, why can't we do sort of student engagement plus all things digital? Even back early in my, my UIC days, before you know, I had my master's degree, I was calling up NASPA and, and talking to people like Kevin Kruger and saying, well, why are we getting rid of the IT knowledge community? This was before the, long before the technology competency within student affairs or the, the sort of renaming of the knowledge community. And so when I went to Oregon State University, they actually brought me in to do some like web marketing and technology work within the entire sort of function of enrollment management. So admissions, recruitment, orientation, financial aid, registrar. And, and I loved it. I mean, it was sort of, the, you know, the beginning of, of, of really sort of the next level for me in terms of higher ed. So I got my master's degree, ended up after Oregon State, I did a year of consulting, working a little bit with Acro with when they set up their, their consulting operation and hated every minute of kind of working from home and being freelance. I was just so uncomfortable with not being in an office or campus-based environment that I went back to Oregon State and I did academic advising for three years in many ways, just to show people that you could be a techie and yet still talk with students face-to-face and so I did that for a few years. Like I said, Inside Higher Ed came calling, asked me if I would write for them. I did a, a blog for them, sort of the student affairs and technology blog. It was about that time I started doing sort of public speaking and consulting, all while I was doing academic advising. So I, I literally had no life and I was using my vacation time to go out and speak at events. And then in 2010, I went full-time freelance, uh, sort of all in on digital engagement consulting, for universities and ed tech companies and speaking at events. And that was really sort of the, the beginning of this whole journey for me. That's super, super cool to hear your story because some of it I literally wouldn't have predicted. I mean, I just would have assumed probably because most of the people who I've met in student affairs, including me, someone's as an undergrad has been like, hey, did you know this could be a career? And you end up doing it. But it's kind of interesting that it happened kind of organically through your, your experience. And I have two follow-up questions for you. One is, so was your bachelor's, did you say your bachelor's was in marketing? And so that's what, that led you into this position? 
Yeah, so my, my undergrad from the beautiful University of Northern Iowa in Cedar Falls, Iowa, was in uh, public relations through the communications department with a minor in marketing. Gotcha. And then, so I was, you kind of like each of the things I was like, oh, did he, did he start this, this job before or after master's degree? You kind of answered them, but here's my other question. And I think that this is where our worlds have met is really in this intersection of higher ed and technology. And you may not have an answer to this because I don't know that I necessarily do either, but it's sort of when did you get or what led you to sort of coming to always like technology? And again, I don't, I don't know if you have an answer for me. It was just kind of like, I remember always being like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Like, this is annoying. Why are you all spending this amount of money mailing out orientation registration packets? And then somebody's entering all of that data into these Google or clearly not Google at the time spreadsheet. This is ridiculous. And then, you know, then Google. And you find other other sources. I just remember always being like that person, but I don't really know what actually led me to technology. Do you have a part of your path that you can point pinpoint and be like, that is why I became a techie advisor? <laughs> I mean, I, I grew well, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, I apologies to all my my Iowa brethren, but I mean, it literally like surrounded by cornfields on all four sides. And and so, you know, you're you're kind of, you know you have to rely on your imagination quite a bit. And, you know, you kind of get your hands into a lot of different things when you grow up on a farm. And so I was always the person who, you know, if it ran on electricity, I always took it apart much to, you know, my parents were obviously trying to run after me and make sure I didn't electrocute myself half the time. But, you know, when I went into, you know, high school, I remember I was just fascinated by computers and I had a Commodore 64. I think my uncle gave my mom at some point when I was, I think maybe 12, 13. And it was, you know, this ugly keyboard thing that would plug into the television and it would just do these magical things. And, and so I was always kind of interested in sort of the interplay, I guess, with technology and people. And then when I, when I went into my undergrad, obviously like graphic design and, and early days of website design was something that I thought, well, this is something I could be interested in and, and, and could have, uh, you know, part of my career attached to it. And so I did quite a bit of graphic design and website design then. And so when I went to UIC, you know, this was kind of pre-social media days. I realized that when you're trying to market and engage students at a mostly commuter-based school, and your your biggest competition is the city of Chicago, you know, you have to work really hard, and you have to, you know, it's all about the design, the message, the platform. And so we were doing early days stuff with website and early days like email marketing campaigns, and and so I just kind of early on thought, you know, why why can't we have sort of this intersection of, of digital and technology and student success. And then when I went to grad school to get my master's, I, I was kind of always the person in my cohort who, if some like USB drive didn't work or where does this plug into the computer or how do you do that? I, that was always my role. You know, if like the toaster didn't work, who's going to make toast? Okay, call in Eric. And, <laughs> and so- No one's ever going to go with bread. You know, everybody's going to have toast around you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. For the rest of my life. I'm glad to know and that so, you were tech, tech support early in your earlier in your life, Eric. <laughs> always, always tech support. I'm still tech support. My my <laughs> father-in-law is my biggest client. He's <laughs> got me on permanent retainer. But I think that when I even when I was an academic advisor, I was looking into things like wikis and ways in which sort of you could take all the information that was sort of located in individual advisors' heads 
and and kind of have a, a centralized place for all this knowledge. And I even you know early days was doing stuff with Nakata on sort of technology seminars and things like Web 2.0 and blogs and some basic social media stuff. And I remember I would have some of my my meetings with my advisees would be on Skype. And so even even back then, and and pretty much the whole time, I'd be presenting at NASPA or ACPA events. Nakata, like I said, on on kind of technology and and student engagement, and it's just kind of been part of my my whole uh, career track. Because I guess I've sort of been very fortunate. I've been able to kind of do the things that I wanted to do. And I know we'll probably talk about this later in terms of what I'm doing today and how that all relates to kind of you know what I used to do. Yeah. I think that that is where we want to head. And, you know, I know folks will benefit from hearing more about sort of how you built up your experiences to be able to make your sort of initial pivot. But also, I know, you know, you you mentioned that you pretty much went freelance in 2010. So I have two questions for you. One is what sort of was the real like pivoting, pivotal, that was the word, pivotal reason for that freelance pivot that you had. And then, yeah, if you can share what you have done since you left campus space positions and what you're doing now. Yeah. So that's, you know, I guess it all comes down to a postcard piece of mail that was sent out to probably a few thousand people back in 2010. So when I was working as an academic advisor, I was still getting invitations to speak at events and doing small conference keynotes here and there. And I was that, that sort of trajectory of my career was starting to really ramp up. And I was using my holiday time, my vacation or my leave time to go and do these events. And so I remember I had agreed to speak at an event. Uh, they had already sent out promotional postcards and mailers about it. And then I went to my boss and I said, hey, you know, just like all the other things I've left for, and I have, I've got, still have some, some time, um, hoping I could just take this off. And I, I received a hard no on that. And I was sort of stuck between, okay, I've been, it's been advertised that I'm going to speak at this event. I've, I've kind of already signed the, the, the contract and all that. I'd been thinking about the idea of possibly making the leap. And that, that mailer, sort of that postcard kind of you know, sealed the deal. And so I, uh, I was a couple months later, I, I turned in my notice and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this thing. And Inside Higher Ed, it was around that time Inside Higher Ed came calling as well. And, and Scott Jassick, who's one of the co-founders of Inside Higher Ed, asked me if I would write for them. And he said he was going to pay me to do it. And I said, okay, <laughs> <Nice>. I'm in. <laughs> um, and, and you know that was the sort of the, the genesis of the Student Affairs and Technology blog. And so I just started this whole sort of endeavor of, of working to sort of speak at events, you know, get invited to, you know, give paid keynotes, as well as doing like consultations for institutions, your retreats and away days and that kind of thing, as well as, you know, other paid opportunities with, with companies. So it's like some of my earliest clients were like Adobe. I did some work with Blackboard, quite a few different ed tech companies, as well as different institutions. And so that was the, that was the sort of the, the kickoff to the whole freelance thing back in 2010. So Eric, can maybe uh, you talk a little bit about what you've done since then and what you're doing now? Absolutely. Sorry. I just want to make sure I don't talk too much. You know, it's like I could blab, blab on and on and on. Um, <laughs> no. So just so you know, like that's the whole purpose of the podcast is to listen to you. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, I, I do so much talking during my work day. I always feel like I, don't, I you know, what's funny is as much talking as I do for a living, 
one of my favorite things to do if I ever if I ever get the chance again is to go out to Oregon and stay in a yurt and just disconnect from all things technological and have a campfire. It's just, you know, I think that's kind of my happy place, you know, in addition to always kind of being someone who likes technology, I like being disconnected from it as well. But since I, I you know, I went freelance, I did that for nine years full time. And in that, during that time, actually, my wife and I, we actually moved to the UK. So we moved to uh, England back in 2014. And I essentially couldn't work for a while because I didn't have the legal right to work. But then once I secured my visa, I effectively started up my consultancy in the UK, working in Scotland, Wales, England, sorry, Northern Ireland, I didn't make it over, but I also, but I did make it to Ireland. (laughs) It is beautiful there. Part, part of the EU, which is lovely. And so, uh, you know, as all countries that are part of the EU are. So, sorry, uh, UK. Say, some are um, no longer part of the EU. That's a subtle, that's a subtle, you know, that's just me being subtle. Okay. Um, are we almost you know, so, done with this conversation? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was actually in the UK when the referendum vote happened. And it was a really interesting thing because I was on a train to an education event. And it was a very solemn uh, sort of affair that day when the results came yeah. out. But, you know, one of the things that, was interesting was was turning my US-based consultancy into a, a UK-based consultancy, completely different environment in terms of, of, of you know, three-year based programs and and just, you know, linguistically it's different. I mean, we speak English, but it's a very different kind of English. And, you know, there's no the, the, in the U.S. where student affairs and academic affairs kind of have e- sort of equal footing or sort of similar uh, resource and budget, the academic side of things in the, in the U.K. really uh, sort of is in charge of most things. And so I had to really sort of revamp and change what I was doing. I did a lot more work with folks who were involved in learning and teaching uh, and technology enhanced learning. In a way, it really expanded my portfolio with the kind of consulting that I could offer while I was still offering consultations to folks in the U.S., did some work with some institutions in Canada, as well as down in Mexico. My consultancy took me out to New Zealand. I, I spoke at an Australia and New Zealand Student Services Association conference one year, as well as some of the, you know, actually like Kiwi-based colleges, which was amazing. And so I did that for, gosh, was it nine years? And then my wife and I, we actually had our son, our eldest in, in England, and we decided we were kind of missing family and we were kind of tired of having to pay taxes to two different countries. And so we thought, you know what, why don't we just move back to the States? So we put all of our stuff on a shipping vessel. Fortunately, it didn't have to take the Suez Canal and clog things up, but we sent our stuff back and we, we moved back. So it was April, 2019, but right before we moved back, I put out a call to sort of the UK and I said, Hey, last chance to hire me for speaking or consulting or what have you, which is obviously not true because there's this thing called the internet or I could have flown back at the time. This was all pre-COVID. And Gecko Engage actually, which was a higher ed chatbots company, asked me to speak at their annual client event. I spoke there. I I really enjoyed the experience, enjoyed the technology, ended up pitching them actually on a full-time position when I got back to the US around August of 2019 and worked for them from September 2019 until April, actually, of 2020. And then when, when sort of everything was locking down in March and, and higher ed, you know, institutions weren't really buying, you know, just any kind of software platform or technology. And unfortunately, Gecko actually decided to sort of lay off the entire U.S. team. So it was like, 
I mean, it was like the Red Wedding, but without all the gore for all of us. We were very, obviously, it was very shocking and surprising to all of us. And we, you know, just a disappointing day. And so, you know, fortunately, I was able to fall back on sort of the tried and true and familiar consulting uh, route. And I did that. And then fairly recently, I just started a new job actually with a higher ed CRM company, kind of CRM plus marketing automation uh, called Element 451 as their VP of product strategy, which is a brand new role for the company. It's a brand new role for me. It's sort of a cross-functional, cross-teams role where I'm uh, primarily focused on sort of all things related to innovation with product and what we're kind of trying to deliver for higher ed. But I'm also working with sales, working with marketing, you know, being part of the leadership team, kind of all hands on deck. And, and it's really fun, I got to say, because, you know, being someone who's kind of always been focused on product in a way in higher ed, just sort of as, an, as a sort of army of one. Now I'm on a team. Now I get to sort of work with developers. And um, yeah, it's, it's been, I'm only on week three. I got, or not, yeah, week three. So, I mean, it's, it's still early days. But the, the technology is sound. I really like what we're trying to do. And, you know, having blogged for Inside Higher Ed for nine years with, with the Student Affairs and Technology blog, I've been pitched by everybody when it comes to technology. You know, I used to wonder the exhibit hall at EduCause with my Inside Higher Ed credentials on and everybody would be like mobbing me, trying to pitch me on different things. And so I can honestly say that, you know, what Element 451 is doing is, is really kind of like next level tech when it comes to CRM and engaging students at the admissions, enrollment, sort of recruitment level. But we've got big plans coming. So I'm really excited to sort of be in a sort of at the ground level on what we're trying to do sort of with enhancing the student experience beyond admissions and recruitment. Eric, what I really love about your story, there's, well, there's a lot of things, but two things really stand out. One is that it feels like you've been able to position yourself into positions that either didn't exist before or that, that like, as you said, at, at Gecko, we're able to sort of, you know, offer up a position, essentially, like design your own position. And I find that really interesting for our listeners who are thinking about like that first, you know, sort of pivot out of higher education, if they're interested in, in sort of using their own skill set, whether it be, you know, student affairs work or academic advising or whatnot, how, how you went about sort of carving out this this niche role whether it's an actual position or sort of the sort of the role more broadly defined how did you take the skills that you had developed in a campus based position and know instinctively like these are the this is the hole that I want to fill and then went after that like how would you advise somebody who's looking to maybe do that you know beyond just what you did but but sort of the things to think about yeah i mean it's i guess it's sort of like what are the skill sets that that if you hone them will be helpful along the way. I mean, I think that the, the two things that have always kind of helped me with my career have been writing prolifically and, and public speaking. I think that those, those two things have kind of been very helpful because, you know, I've, I've been the one that's been asked to write by companies, you know, and it's, and, and by, you know, institutions. And so that's obviously super helpful. And then also, if you're the one out there speaking and having opinions and thoughts and ideas around different things, others sort of gravitate to that. And, and it sort of, I think in a way, you know, my career has always been kind of a grassroots-based thing, when, especially when it came to my, my consultancy. I never did any formal marketing or promotion. The work that sort of preceded the next job or whatnot 
was the marketing, was the promotion, because, you know, I'd be speaking at one institution or one event and someone would hear me speak at that event, bring me out to their school, or, you know, just the whole word of mouth would kind of cascade things through. And so I think that, you know, working on, on, on your writing, working on your public speaking and, and really just, I mean, I've found that this is something that I love to do. So I'm constantly reading, you know, Inside Higher Ed, The Chronicle, Ed Surge, Higher Ed Dive, and countless other, you know, e-newsletters every morning, because it's just stuff that I like to learn about and know about, because it's, it's, it's definitely become the sort of the sector that I like to operate within. Well, and I think that, that that's a great segue into the second thing that really stuck out, which is that you know you have always had sort of a finger in the higher ed space, even though you're not necessarily on a campus. And for our listeners who are looking to make that pivot, and, and Jamie's talked about this quite a bit because she obviously works in higher education adjacent, is that there are some ways to make the pivot out of a campus-based position, but still have that connection to the, the things that we've trained on, the things that we've learned that, you know, sort of what our, what our master's degree or our PhDs are all about, how have you been able to blend all of that into your positions? You know, those experiences, those skill sets, how have you been able to transfer them from X to Y and make it feel super seamless? Accidental, you know, fortitude. I, you know, it's one of those things where I wish I had it sort of planned out in a maybe sort of a linear fashion, but it's much more Jackson Pollock, you know, throwing up lots of paint on the wall and then, oh, hey, it looks nice on, on you know, on a canvas. I, I think that, you know, when I was at, you know, sort of in the in higher education environment working for a school, you know, I was still writing, I was blogging, I was still putting out opinions around things like various technologies and student success. But Surprisingly, I was getting a lot of pushback about that. And I think part of it is there's this sort of perception that if you work for an institution, you can't have opinions or you can't sort of speak your mind in certain ways. And there's this sort of perception that I think in many ways that the, the risk is greater than the reward. And when anybody who's worked for an institution or anyone who's consulted with institutions knows that it's really hard to actually to, to have you know, someone fire you in higher ed, like you have to really mess up. And, you know, you can, you can pretty much stay in your role for a long time, get the gold watch and, and the cake party and all that. That's a little bit of sarcasm, but, you know, in some ways, read between the lines. When I went into consulting, I, I really felt that I was afforded the freedom to say the things that I wanted to say to an even greater extent. And yes, there were those who would say, you know, the sort of put out maybe some critiques around, well, you don't work for a school anymore. You don't work with students directly one-on-one. -on -one. And I would, I would counter and I would say, well, I... I, I work with lots of students all over the place at a variety of institutions. I work with a lot of different people within higher ed, within a variety of functional areas. And I, and I have to sort of deal with the, the political aspects of that in a different way. So yeah, I guess, you know, I, I guess I never thought of myself as higher ed adjacent, but it is, you, you are connected. You are part of that landscape, even if you're not actually on a campus or in a school environment. Yeah. And what I what I liked about what you shared and, and sort of your pathway is you didn't have a scripted set of steps, which is actually kind of opposite to a majority of the other guests we've had on the show and to to quite frankly, Tom and I. And in fact, one of the lessons I shared on my episode that I learned was like, walk through the open glowing door, Jamie, like, why do you like 
consternate over whether this is a good fit or like it's literally like oh you know it's making a noise saying come and do this and and I I feel like maybe you while I'm sure you put very clear thought into it I feel like you were more like I'm gonna kind of go where I'm being drawn to and rather than thinking about this you know pathway that you're supposed to be on and I think you know newer professionals especially can learn a lot from that because who knows where they're going to end up. And so don't spend the time necessarily like scripting this. I'm going to be in this job for three years or that job for five years. But if you really want to be open to opportunities, you, you kind of need to, you can have that like maybe in pencil, but like be open to it. And, and what I also like is that when I left campus-based position, I was really worried I wouldn't be able to go back, but also really didn't know what would be next for me. And a mentor of mine, Michael Berman, said, Jamie, probably your next position after Noodle isn't even created yet. And so now I can be like, see, I'm going to do an Eric Stoller because like it like like you had multiple jobs that you kind of were like, hey, let's do this. So so there you go. I'm going to I'm going to I think, Jamie, you should copyright name. that. We're going to do an Eric Stoller. <laughs> I, I, I have no comment. I mean, that's just that's going to become the worst meme ever. That, that's going to be the title of this episode. <laughs> yeah, and people are going to be actually like, I need to listen to this episode so I understand what the heck that title yeah, run, is. Run, run away, run very, very quickly. And yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, I, I was just very fortunate in the sort of the way everything sort of happened to sort of stack together, you know, and there, there's, there's obviously lots of stories and, and, and things when it comes to, you know, the, the for example, you know, the public speaking aspect. And I, I've, I've written actually a few posts several years ago on Inside High Red about this because, you know, 15-year-old me, 16-year-old me back in high school wasn't thinking, oh, you need to hone your ability to speak in front of crowds. So you're going to join the speech, you know, in the team and like large group and small group, individual, whatever, uh, because that will help you when you're in your 30s. I mean, I wasn't yeah. thinking about those things. I was just thinking, hey, this is something fun to do. And I get to be on a bus and go away from school and like, you know, explore, you know, large towns <laughs> of all things. So, I mean, I think <laughs> I, it does, you know, or, you know, like I said, that Commodore 64, you know, figuring yeah. out how to write early on and, and always being someone who just liked to just tinker and troubleshoot and, and take things apart. You know, that's, you look at the ed tech world, that's kind of what I do now, just in the virtual sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was able to sort of pick and choose the roles that I wanted based on, you know, the technologies that I thought were valuable and worthwhile for higher ed. So in a way, I mean, my sort of focus has always been whatever I'm doing is effectively giving back to, you know, higher ed, the community in which I've, I've sort of lived and worked for a, a long time. It's just different ways of doing so. Yeah. And along the lines of the different ways, and you may have alluded to one of these things already, but what are some of the things you really like about being higher ed adjacent, otherwise, you know, specifically not being on a college campus, which the social media silencing, I know, might be, might be one of them. But also, what are some of the things that you miss? I mean, I, I loved being on a campus. I mean, one of the, I, I'm going to start with that positive stuff first, because it's funny, you know, I talk about how my career is very sort of nonlinear and it's sort of a series of fortunate accidents. But when I was an academic advisor, I was a pre-med advisor, right? So my job was, was about sort of steering students into a very linear progression. 
all about structure, all about prerequisites and experiences. And, and this is what you've got to do if you want to do this thing that a lot of other people say they want to try, but it's really hard to achieve. And, and so, you know, I was effect, you're effectively a coach, you know, in, in that sense. And I just never kind of turned that lens on my own self. But in, in terms of the things that I miss, I mean, working with students on a daily basis, I mean, if I had a full schedule, I was meeting like 12 students a day or, or even more. Um, and I was exhausted because as much as I, I do sort of, you know, speak for a living, I'm fairly introverted. And so I was going through a lot of energy and I would just be exhausted at the end of the day. But I, I you know, went home, slept, came back, did it some more and, and really enjoyed it. And so, you know, having, having that sort of collegiality of, of the, the campus experience and just being in that space is really wonderful. But at the same token, you know, being in, in an ed tech environment, working on sort of the corporate side is, is really novel and different as well in the sense that the people that I get to work with, you know, they're all college educated. They've gone through higher ed. They just work for a company. Uh, and we're trying to do some interesting things, trying to build something for higher ed. So yeah, we're adjacent, but we're, we're trying to sort of like add some extra scaffolds to the, the full experience. Well, what I think is really cool about that is it, it gives people that, that sort of option or even knowledge that, that that exists. I think when I went into higher ed, well, first of all, like many of us, I didn't know what higher ed was until you know, I sort of had a mentor say, hey, you should think about this career. But then when I was in higher ed, I didn't know that there was this, this thing that was sort of you know, next to higher education, or as Jamie says, higher education adjacent, that, that was an option even for me. I think you know, it, was, it, it felt very black and white. I either worked in education or I went to work for a corporation. And you know, I, I did choose the corporation route, but you know, understanding and knowing that there's so many different options in this education space that are not just a campus-based position I think will be really great for the folks who are listening to this podcast, because I know that at least the people that I've talked with, a lot of them are thinking, oh, I need to go into corporate L&D, or I need to go into corporate human resources, or, or I need to you know, do X, when really there's this whole world that exists that maybe they haven't thought about, or that they've been maybe exposed to at a conference, but didn't really recognize, oh, that's something I could do. I certainly, when I walked around a vendor fair at NODA or NASPA, never thought, oh, those are positions that I could eventually do someday. But those, those clearly are because those are, those are people that are selling into the higher education space or working with campuses. And you have to have some sort of knowledge about the, the structure of higher education to go into that. And so what you talk about, I think, will, will resonate quite well with the people that are listening to this podcast. Awesome. I mean, that's, that's what I had hoped. <laughs> well, and that, yes, another reason we want to mission accomplished. So, Eric, you know, I just have a couple of last questions. I know that you just recently took a new role as the VP of Product Strategy, and so this question might feel a little loaded. And so, maybe as you think about the answer, and maybe not necessarily positional, but you know, sort of, sort of space, I guess. You know, what do you see next for yourself, whether it's career-wise or learning-wise, or sort of next steps, and then you know, let's maybe close it out with final advice that you might have for somebody who's looking to make that first pivot out of education. Yeah, well, I mean, I'd say obviously it's early days with my current role at Element 451. So I'd say, you know, next steps where I see myself going is uh, continuing in this role for a while to to really build out our, our, our products and services. And I think that the I'm really keen to see how the technologies kind of evolve, you know, things like machine learning and AI and 
and what that all kind of entails when it comes to the student experience and you know the connectivity between you know using data in, in really powerful ways to just help really with the student experience, but not just the student experience, but actually help students with success, you know, and whatever that means to them. And so I, I'm excited to be part of that, that journey at Element 451. And I'd say, you know, advice to those who are thinking about making the move, making the, the pivot, just know that there, 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 there's varying routes to success, right? There are a lot of different ways to, to have a career in higher education. You know, there's the, the, what, the expatriates group on Facebook for student affairs, and it's filled with people who have wonderful stories of, of just different things that they're doing now. And so, you know, it's like in a lot of different, I think, master's degree programs, people, you know, they get their MBA, they get their whatever, and they know that they could have a career that's going to kind of be zigzag all over the place. And I think for whatever reason, you know, the higher ed trajectory oftentimes is become an RA and, and then sort of be encouraged to go into student affairs. I was a terrible resident. I could have never been an RA. And, and so I, you know, maybe that's what has helped me out because that, you know, experience as a, as a student who could never be an RA and, you know, not that I have anything against those that were, uh, obviously we, I needed an RA to keep me in line. I was going to say, uh, you're talking to two former RAs. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. I know, I, I know what I'm, I know exactly what I'm stepping We're going to write um, you up, Eric. So you better watch yeah, out. No, I, <laughs> you couldn't catch me. That's the thing. I was too, I was, you know, um, but, but I, I think that just know that there's many different ways to get where you're trying to go. And, and, and don't be afraid to apply for roles that you might not think sort of are, uh, you know, an apples to apples type thing. There's lots of different roles. For example, when I started my position with Element 451 and, you know, as VP of product strategy, I had, you know, people were saying, you know, kind of well wishes and congratulatory remarks, whatever. And, and people were messaging me on LinkedIn saying, hey, I'm in higher ed, I'm in student affairs, I'm interested in ed tech. And so, you know, I think that's where it's good. Contact people like myself and ask us how, you know, what, how we got here, what we're doing, any advice. And I, and I think that, you know, there's lots of transferable skills, lots and lots of transferable skills. Yeah. One of the things, Eric, you know, full transparency to our listeners that we send out these questions to our guests in advance. One of the comments, Eric, that you made on your sheet was sort of being able to work at that intersection between product and sales and marketing and customer success. And it's so funny to me because that's my world right now. You know, I, I work at that intersection. I don't work on the product side. I work on the customer experience side, but had somebody told me five well, now I've been in this position for a little over five years, so maybe six years ago that I would even know what those words meant. I would have probably looked at them like they were from another planet. You know, my episode is actually titled from SIS to Salesforce, you know, from student information systems to Salesforce, but truly no idea what Salesforce even was six years ago. And when I first started at what was then, you know, a company based out of Vancouver, Washington, you know, people were saying Salesforce and I was like, I don't, I don't really know what that is. I assumed that that was the people that worked on the sales team. I've never heard of them. Yeah, no idea. <laughs> and what I love about your story is that, you know, it, it, it is that the skills are transferable. The next position or the next opportunity is out there. It's a matter of trying, it, it's a matter of finding it. It's a matter of networking. It's a matter of sort of owning the areas that you want to get better in and really working on those. And I think that that's what we do. That is what higher education does for our students. That is what I did when I would mentor students. I wasn't mentoring every student to go in student affairs. I was mentoring them to go into the business world or go into, you know, nonprofit. And it sort of just turned the tables a little bit and do that for yourself. You know, mentor yourself, find a mentor out there that can help guide you in that direction. 
and and the doors are open, whether they're bright and shiny glowing doors like Jamie was, you know, Jamie's were calling for her or doors that we don't even know exist yet, which is to some extent the case for you and even a little bit for me. So appreciate that story immensely. And I, I too have really having you on the show today. Now we can say we, I feel like you can say we've officially met. For those listening, we actually opt to meet on Zoom because we want to be able to see people when we're talking. And so I feel like this should count, but probably in the future we should meet in real life, IRL. But I wanted to underscore what Tom said and say, Eric, you know, yes, there's a lot of things that have come your way, but it's clear that it has also come your way as a result of a lot of very hard work. And I, you know, wanted to just say, like, I've really enjoyed hearing your story and also have appreciated seeing you as being someone that's been willing to think differently. I've seen you post sometimes some tweets where I'm like, oh, wow, he's just going to say exactly what he thinks right now. And I've, I very much appreciated that. But also, I think you gave voice to, you know, especially in your time in Inside Higher Ed, you gave voice to a lot of technology and digital education related topics that has really created a kind of a a new pathway in student affairs and a new sort of general context area for people to think about. I don't know how you managed to kind of keep up with everything. I would love, I wanted to ask you like, how do you do that every morning? Because all of those avenues that you talked about are ones that I, I will review myself, but I often can just be like, I'm going to just see what Eric's writing about because then I can go read some more about it. No, uh, just let me let me curate it for you, right? Yeah, like a librarian just, with a little send cart me a full weekly of book. Yeah. yeah, just just send me my personal weekly summary and then we'll yep. be fine. We'll do. Uh, but no, it has been wonderful to to learn from you, and I am sure folks will very much appreciate hearing your story and are equally thankful to learn from the things that you have put out there and continue to share about technology and student success. So thank you so much. And for everybody listening, thanks for joining us and please join us again next week. As always, thank you to our guests for joining us. Additionally, special thanks to our sound editor, John Alexander. We spend one third of our life at work. It should be something we believe in and have a passion for. It's okay if that passion changes. If you are thinking about pivoting out of education or know someone who is, visit our website at pivotingoutofedu.com for advice, testimonials, and blog articles. Have advice to share or would like a private consultation? Contact Jamie or Tom via the website or at pivotingoutofedu at gmail.com.